0: <sighs> welcome back to the over the monster podcast this is your host jake devereau and today i am joined by my permanent co-host keaton derocher of over the monster and of the dynasty guru where you can find him writing triple plays and certainly not telling you to go check those out
1: um keaton welcome to the show glad to be here i guess uh been a bit of a stumble here as of late that's not always great but i'm glad we're going to dig into it
0: yes this whole season has been a tidbit of a stumble so on today's uh june 3rd episode uh we are going to discuss some injury news and notes uh we're going to discuss the weekend series with the yankees uh some movement in the lineup with bets uh moving to the leadoff position permanently um we're also going to touch on uh some stats for the last month for the team, uh, and, and look into that a little bit more. And I think we've, we found some interesting things. So we hope you enjoy this, this particular edition. Um, we're going to get started though, with some injury news and notes. Um, since we last talked, Mitch Moreland hit the IL with lower back issues. Um, that allowed the team to bring back Colton Brewer with, uh, Um, Him being sent down before, he wasn't down for the full 10 days, but because of that, he was able to come back to the team. Um, Steve Pierce hits the IL, also with lower back issues. Sam Travis gets brought up for his spot. Uh, Hector Velasquez also hits the IL with lower back issues. This seems like it's going around the clubhouse like the flu. Um, And Mike Schwarren was brought up for the first time uh, and added to the 40-man roster. And then lastly, uh, not an injury, but Travis Lakins was demoted in favor of Josh Taylor, who made his major league debut this past week. Um, that was more for performance reasons. So Keaton, I will turn it to you. Do any of these injuries slash, uh, demotions, uh, interest you at all? And do you think that they're worth chatting about?
1: Yeah. And more than one hurts, um, I mean, they're struggling for runs lately, and the production that he was giving them prior to being hurt was tough. Now it's uh, almost as if that's a hole in the lineup. I know Chavis has moved to first to cover the... um, Essentially, I don't have anybody else but him to play at that point, uh, unless they're going to give Nunez some run there, but that's not great. Um, But Chavis has been on a bit of a struggle, so it's... uh, As he's figuring things out at the major league level, um, the more bats that are producing that you can have in the lineup around him, the better. And we've basically swapped uh, Nunez slash Holt for Moreland, which is a pretty decent step back at the plate. So uh, this kind of seems like it ends up compounding their issues at the plate, not having him in the lineup based on the way that he's been going. And Steve Pierce had kind of started to turn it around before he got hurt, too. He had a couple multi-hit games, uh, had a few diggers in there. So it seemed like first base was kind of starting to turn itself around.
0: Yeah, I I agree, Um, especially on the Steve Pierce front. I think we were starting to see some signs of life from him. I have to say that I am actually um, optimistic about him hitting the the IL at this point, though, because I think that more than anybody else on the team, Steve Pierce has kind of been hindered with physical issues this year. Um, And I think that this time off, um, if it's used correctly, could potentially get him right. And especially with him sort of trying to figure stuff out at the plate and seeing progress in that front, if he can get physically right as well, I think that he could be... um, a big-time valuable piece if he and uh, Mitch Moreland can come back healthy. Um, so, yeah, I agree with you that first base is the biggest hit right now. Uh, Hector Velasquez, no real big deal there. He's been pretty terrible. We'll talk about him uh, when, we t- when we dig in a little bit more um, on the bullpen guys. Um, Colton Brewer coming back is whatever. He's been pretty bad this year. Um, Josh Taylor made his debut. I don't know if you get to see him pitch, um, but my, my first impressions of Josh Taylor were, wow, he's got really great stuff, but he doesn't always know where his stuff is going, and his uh, his pitch sequencing leaves a little bit to to be desired. I don't think he
1: drops that slider in nearly enough. Yeah, I missed it. I didn't get to see his inning, uh, so that's I'm kind of bummed about that, but... Uh, I think that was kind of the scouting point coming in on him uh, previously. I can't remember who we talked to, but we talked to somebody, and I pointed out that he has good stuff. He just can't find strike zone, which kind of makes it a a fun little mystery every time he's out there.
0: Yeah, sure does. Um, The Red Sox uh, are back to having eight relievers in the bullpen and a very limited bench right now. So their bench currently consists of Sam Travis – Uh, Sandy Leon and Eduardo Nunez and uh, that is not exactly an ideal bench you're talking about a guy in Sandy Leon who doesn't have much hitting ability Eduardo Nunez this year has been one of the worst major leaguers uh, in terms of hitting ability this season Um, not exactly a great defensive replacement anywhere either and then uh, Sam Travis uh, we all know what Sam Travis is at this point certainly very limited so the Red Sox find themselves at the major league level really without a capable pinch hitter at this point, which you know doesn't seem like a big deal, but when you're fighting for you know wild card relevancy like the Red Sox are at this point, um, nine and a half games back of the Yankees, um, you know th- those can be important, and not having guys that can come in and play situational baseball uh, right now certainly does look like a weakness for this ball club.
1: I would agree with that. For sure. Uh were you surprised last night to see Sandy Leon get pinch hit for?
0: Um by Christian Vasquez? Yeah. No, no, not at all. Because Christian has just been so hot. I think that, that that's actually the one time when you have Sandy Leon starting um, and Vasquez being as hot as he's been over the past, you know, month or so, even longer than that, um, I I I think that that's totally fine. I mean, we'll we'll give you a little bit of a sneak peek as to what we were going to talk about later. But since the beginning of May, um, Christian Vasquez <clears throat> has a 149 WRC plus, um, slashing 368, 392, 553. So that's about as good a guy you can pinch hit for. At this point, right now,
1: I'm curious if he has had any other, or like what his record is as a pinch hitter. Should have looked that up. Darn it. <laughs> oh, wow. Well. well, yeah, well, I was just thinking. I mean, Leon had been in the game and was kind of, uh, he had a few hits. Uh, and was kind of in the groove already, and then you were going for someone cold off the bench. And I know that there are some players that thrive in that role as a pinch hitter uh, and others that don't. Uh, and I was a little surprised just because of the success that Leon had. I probably would have tried to just ride that hot hand. But I uh, I can understand why you would go for Vasquez, who's had the far superior season overall.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I get both. Um, Vasquez did have that nice single to drive in a run earlier in the game um, where he kind of dropped the tip of the uh, the bat on that ball and, and poked it into, uh, what was that, shallow right field, I guess it was. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I can't argue with uh, getting Christian Vasquez more at bats anytime you he can at this point. Yeah. Um, Let's get down to talking about the big change that was made yesterday by Cora. <clears throat> Cora um, spoke to the media and decided to move Mookie Betts back to the leadoff spot uh, where he played during his MVP campaign. Um, ben is back to the two-hole, and Cora says that this is a change that he is making for the remainder of the year. Um, Keaton, what did you think of this announcement? Was this uh, something that you were you were happy about, or is this uh, do you think you gave up too early on this plan?
1: Um, well, we're like almost sixty games into the season. I'd say that's enough of a sample size. I feel better about it, so knowing that Betts is your best hitter. Essentially, I feel better about it, knowing that Devers is killing it right now. Bogarts is on a bit of a heater. Jenny Martinez is what he is. When you didn't have other players in the lineup producing, it made all sense of the world to have him as three or four to make sure that there was many more opportunities where he'd be at bat with runners in scoring position. But he's stated multiple times that he's most comfortable in the leadoff spot. So if you have guys that you can put behind him to drive him in, maybe this is what they... They need to do to jumpstart their issues with running and scoring position. So I'm all for it. Wherever a guy's the most comfortable is probably where he's going to be the most successful, and it's pretty well documented about how comfortable Betts is in the leadoff spot. Uh, so I I like it, and I think we saw and we had enough of a sample size of kind of a uh, revolving door of uh, dropping guys into the leadoff spot. We even had Javis there for a couple games. So uh, any stability that you can have at the top of the lineup where guys are comfortable for it, and this seems like that kind of move.
0: Yeah, I like it too. Um, I love Betts there. He just has everything you'd look for in a leadoff hitter, and we've been able to see him be incredibly productive from that spot, Um, you know, clearly last year. And for most of his time with the Red Sox, he's been incredibly productive from that spot. And clearly Benintendi just wasn't comfortable with how he was being attacked there. Never really see him to settle in. Um, ben Attendee's had a rough last month. We'll talk about that a little bit later in the show. Um, you know, I, th- I think it just it improves the lineup. And you're going to have to see... <coughs> I mean, Benny's going to have Mookie for protection at the top. So he's going to see better pitches. And then right behind him, he's going to have J.D. Martinez and Rafael Devers. Um, so you're not going to be able to pitch around him. And then Bogart's following those guys up, just driving everybody in. Um the lineup just looks super dangerous at the top now with all those guys. There's none of those guys that you really want to face at this point. Um I I I just like it. I mean last year you had just about as good a team as the Red Sox will ever have, probably. Um maybe the best team in the history of the Red Sox. I, I'm I'm confident saying that. Um Yeah. So I love it. I love the move to, to go back and hopefully these guys can kind of settle in because the Red Sox are going to need a lot more from Benintendi if they're going to get where they need to go um, because that spot has killed a lot of momentum so far
1: this year. It has. I would definitely agree with that. and I think it's about time that uh, we've seen enough of Ben Benintendi's inconsistencies that he should be much lower in the order. Uh, and there are other guys like Bogart's Devers that should be at the top, uh, kind of giving them more opportunities. Yeah, I'd agree
0: with that. Um, So let's talk about where the Red Sox stand right now as a team. Um, They're currently feeling pretty desperate, and Rick Porcello had a few quotes uh, saying the same thing, Um, and I'll I'll quote these um, from Jen McCaffrey's great article on The Athletic um, that she published uh, yesterday. Um, and basically what he said was, we're not closing the gap. We're making it bigger. It's tough. Uh, we're in a tough spot coming in. Uh, we're in an even worse spot now and we've got to be ready to fight every night. Um, and that's all I'll read from it. So it's a good article. Definitely check that out. Um, but basically Porcello is saying what everybody knows. The Red Sox are in clear desperation mode at this point, um, As you said before, they're almost 60 games in, 58 games played, the team's 29-29. They're nine and a half games out of first place, um, which is 2016 territory in terms of how far back they are of the division lead. Um, And one of the biggest issues that the team has faced so far, and one of the biggest reasons why they're where they are, is the team's performance with runners in scoring position. And we saw that again last night against the Yankees on Saturday. And Cora said it himself, so I'll quote Cora here. He said, we didn't do much with men in scoring position. Uh, We've been talking about this for like a week. There's always traffic in that, but we're not getting that big hit. Today, Sandy was the only one who got hits with men in scoring position. We struck out too much today. Uh, Sometimes it's a credit to them. Sometimes we're expanding the zone. We don't do that that often, uh, but it seems like the past 10 days with men in scoring position, we haven't done much. Um, I'm going to say that you know, covering the team daily at Locked On, um, I can say that this is something that Matt and I talk about all the time. Um, almost every loss, we pull up team performance with runners in scoring position, and we're seeing numbers like 0 for 8, 0 for 10, 2 for 14, things like that constantly. So anecdotally, I can say that I feel like this has been a bigger issue for the team than it seems like uh, even Cora is giving credit for.
1: Yeah, this is uh, quite an issue, and would it shock you to know that last year the Red Sox had the best batting average with runners in scoring position? In all of Major League Baseball? In all of the Major
0: Leagues. That would not shock me, considering they won 118 games
1: or whatever throughout the entire year. Yeah, and I wonder how much of last uh, last year's success kind of carries over into the struggles of the season. But they're 11th in uh, the major leagues this year, which is a lot higher than I expected them to be. But that drop from first to 11th is a little bit over 30 points in batting average, which is a lot of hits that are not happening. They also rank third in grounding into double plays with runners in scoring position. Ugh, that's such a killer. <clears throat> yeah Major With uh, 20 And uh, surprisingly Houston actually is worse In both uh, batting average and grounding in a double plays. But that's a significant issue Because when you have people in scoring position All you need is either like a base knock Or like a deep fly ball You trade out for a run They can't even do that They're picking up more outs than they are runs That's not a recipe for success.
0: No, it really isn't. Um, and I guess I'm glad to have those numbers to contextualize what I've been seeing, um, from these guys. And I think what makes it most frustrating is you see that the Red Sox can perform well, um, because they're, they're basically a Jekyll and Hyde team with that. I mean, they, they, when the, when the Red Sox score, they score like, Eight or nine runs, and when they don't score, they can't, you know, they can't seem to muster up more than like two or three. It just seems like this offense is so hot and cold. It's so inconsistent at times, uh, and it can be maddeningly so. So hopefully, um, this change, putting bets back at the top, kind of restores some sort of balance and order to this lineup. Starts to make guys feel more comfortable, because when you really look at it, I mean, the team should be. Comparable to the the offense that it had last year. Certainly no one's expecting it to be that offense um, because that was basically, as I've said before, the best team that we're, we're probably going to see. But Devers is better this year than he was last year. Bogarts is better this year than he was last year. Chavis is playing better than, you know, whatever they had at second base last year. Um I think there's a lot of things that we can point to to say, um, hey, those are things that should lengthen your lineup rather than make it more difficult to score.
1: Yeah, I definitely agree. And it, it really, uh, oh. you can, yeah, you, you kind of hit on it with the compounding, the frustrations with the double plays. And we, actually, we saw that last night, too, with uh, in the ninth. They had a rally going. And it was killed by a double play. Two on no outs and I don't even get one run out of it. Who hit that double play by the way? JD Martinez.
0: Yeah, that's a guy we probably should talk about too is cuz JD hasn't been looking quite like himself as well, but as I said, we're going to we're going to start to touch on that here in just a second. But before we get into kind of how the offense and the pitching has performed over the last month, I just want to update you on where the Red Sox sit right now. Red Sox are currently a game back of the second wildcard spot and seem like they're going to be battling for that position all year. Um, the teams battling uh, against them are teams like the Texas Rangers, who currently have that spot right now, uh, Oakland, who's tied with them, and Cleveland, who's tied with them. Um and surprisingly, there's a couple teams that are are kind of right there on the cusp that you wouldn't expect. Chicago White Sox have been hot lately. They're 28 and 30 right now. Um, Mike Trout's Los Angeles Angels are 28 and 30. They're kind of right there. Um, the Rays have the a big lead on that first wild card spot. They're six games up on everybody else, um, at least. Um, but it seems like the Red Sox are going to be doing battle with these teams. The plus side is that. Clearly, when the Red Sox are performing well, they're way better than any of these teams that we're talking about. They do have the best run differential out of these teams at plus 28, um, not including the Rays, obviously. Um, But it's starting to feel more like the Red Sox are going to be chasing the wild card all year. Nine and a half games is a lot at this point in the season. Certainly, we've seen stranger things happen. Um, They can make it up, but it's going to be incredibly difficult at this point.
1: Yeah, it is a major uphill battle And uh, we talked about how this stretch here Was against a lot of teams that they're battling for Within the division and for the wild card So this was a chance for them to really kind of make some moves And they haven't (laughs) done the opposite of what we were kind of hoping they were going to do But they still have a bunch of games against Tampa and New York Who are not going to make it easy on them So there's uh, plenty of opportunity to make it up and kind of close the gap. But they definitely need things to change for that to happen.
0: Yeah, they do. Um, And in terms of who the Red Sox have coming up soon, after they finish the series with the Yankees tonight, which ended up being a three-game set instead of a four-game set because of the rainout. Um, they have David Price versus CeCe <coughs> Sabathia tonight. That's not going to be an easy game considering how well CC has pitched against the Red Sox throughout his career and their struggles against lefties. But then they have three against KC at KC, um, a four-game set at home versus Tampa Bay, followed by a four-game set at home versus Texas. Um, that Texas set is going to take on increased importance considering Texas is the one leading that wild card chase right now. So these are really important games coming up Um, then after Texas they get a little bit of a respite with uh, being at Baltimore which is always a fun place for the Red Sox to play but then they see uh, Minnesota at Minnesota for three and Minnesota is just about the hottest team in baseball so um, you know I keep looking at the schedule looking for that big stretch of relief uh, and it's just it's not anywhere close they just keep playing good teams and hot teams it's been a tough year it
1: has it definitely has and they have to take advantage of teams when they can like Kansas City they're going to need to sweep that and uh they should have uh gotten one against uh my god who uh Cleveland dropped a tough one against Cleveland <clears throat> they can't do that
0: no they need to take advantage of games that they should be winning um, and the team certainly hasn't been doing that. Um, let's talk about the offense here. Um, <clears throat> if you haven't been on fan graphs recently, one of the best things that they just recently did is they added a custom date range, which is just awesome. Um, it makes, in my opinion, the easiest to use, uh, and best baseball resource, even better. Um, so that allowed us to take a look back at basically how the Red Sox offense and pitching has performed over the last month as a snapshot. Um, and some of the standouts um, would surprise you, and some of them would not surprise you. Um, but I want to just kind of go over these guys. So first of all, Xander Bogarts, uh, over the last month, has been unbelievable. And this is a guy that I've talked about a lot on um, Locked On, especially as being sort of the most consistent Red Sox player this entire season. Uh, Xander Bogarts over the last month has a 164 WRC+, which leads the team. He's got seven home runs over this past month, um, batting 330 with a 596 slugging percentage. He's been absolutely electric. Um, Rafael Devers is second on that list. He's got eight home runs over that period of time, 149 WRC+, um, batting 336, and Christian Vasquez has the highest batting average on the team over that stretch, uh, with a three sixty-eight batting average and a one hundred forty nine WRC+. Um, Did any of those three guys surprise you at all, or does that pretty much jive with what you've seen from night to night?
1: Uh, night to night, no, that's that's not really a surprise. Uh, I mean, we've talked about Vasquez uh, at length, and uh, his success is a surprise. Uh, But, I mean, if you're watching the games, you can see it. Yeah.
0: Yeah, absolutely. None of those guys surprised me. I mean, especially Bogey. I was really happy to see that with Bogey because I've been just quietly watching him tick along and kind of compiled the best season of his career. Uh, And I think he's well on his way to setting those new career highs. But I gotta say, it seems like that signing that contract for Bogarts has just made a world of difference for him mentally. Um, and I also think he is, you know, squarely in his prime. He knows how to adjust to everything. He knows where to move at shortstop. He's having his best defensive season at shortstop ever. He's already accumulated 1.8 war on fan graphs. He leads the team in that category right now. Uh, it's just looking like such a smart signing by the Red Sox and just the perfect marriage for a guy who clearly wanted to stay in the organization that he came up in. He's I can't say enough good things about him and how stable he is at that shortstop position.
1: Yeah, and he kind of hit it on the head. I I wonder how freeing it is having the extension to know that he can just kind of play ball. And there was a lot of talk about Mookie Betts in the offseason and about trying to get his extension done and Mookie made it pretty clear. He's going to go to free agency, which makes all the sense in the world from his perspective. Um, <clears throat> but you wonder if those um, might be creeping into bets a little bit. I mean, he started the season slow, but he hasn't really been all that slow in recent days. So maybe that's that was just an adjustment on his part. Um, but it, it, whenever that happens with guys, it always seems like mentally refreshing for them to know that they – don't have to worry about like playing well in a contract year and losing out on money or anything like that. When the team kind of rewards them for the successes that they've had. And uh, then they just kind of let it go, which is this is, I mean this type of play, this level of play from Bogarts is kind of what we expected from him because he's this talented to carry this throughout an entire season. And, He's shown it over the past couple seasons as to why he's one of the best shortstops at the plate in the majors. And the shortstop is an incredibly deep position, uh, and he still goes a little bit overlooked. So um, I kind of agree with you. I think that he's on his way to setting some new career highs and kind of uh, busting into the, the very upper echelon of shortstops in the majors.
0: Yeah, I would agree, and right now, according to Fangraphs, uh, for the year, and that 1.8 war that I cited was just for that month, uh, Xander Bogarts leads the entire league in shortstop war, according to Fangraphs, right now, at 2.8 war accumulated on the season. Um, that's really good. Uh, he is ahead of guys like Javi Baez, uh, Trevor Story, Carlos Correa, um, you know, Manny Machado, all those names that you would kind of expect to be up there. Um, he's ahead of all of them, and he's even ahead of co- a couple of the uh, guys having outstanding new seasons like Jorge Polanco and uh, Paul DeYoung, who have had incredible breakout seasons. So clearly looking like a great investment on the Red Sox side, and you know I couldn't be happier to have that guy here long term. Um, We're going to take a quick break right now, uh, give you a couple words from our sponsors, and uh, when we come back, we're going to continue digging into this offense, and then we'll get into the pitching. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.
1: See website for details.
0: Okay, welcome back for segment two. So let's continue looking at the offense, Keaton. Um, Mitch Moreland uh, is third on the team in this past month if offensive performance. Which is why you know losing him makes such a huge difference for the offense as well. Um, he leads the team in isolated power at 317 during that stretch. He's got a 138 WRC plus, five home runs. Uh, Mitch Moreland is having a really interesting season for him because um, you know he's never hit this many home runs this early into the season, um, and he he's done it in a way that uh, is a little bit unique. I mean, I don't think that. Uh, this is quite how you draw it up. The, 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 the other stats don't necessarily match up to the power stats, but uh, he's getting it done with production.
1: Yeah, he is. And it hurts not having him in the lineup, just kind of looking at their struggles. But um, we kind of thought last year, the way that he started last year was probably the best that he could have come out and worked it all the way to uh, an all-star game appearance. Uh, but this year he's come out Really even hotter um, But it's like Almost exclusively Extra base hits And uh, the average is uh, Leaves a bit to be desired But if you're You know Going to hit like 250 or less Then I mean if the majority of the hits are going to be extra bases I don't know if we can really complain about that <laughs> As long as it just doesn't stop yeah,
0: it's definitely the the uh the sexiest line I've seen from a 228 <laughs> hitter in a little while
1: when they're at Sox. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's kind of wild, it really is. Yeah,
0: and the team has desperately needed his 34 RBIs too. He's come through in some pretty clutch situations it seems like. Um, so, you know, I've been I've been happy with what we've got from Moreland there. Um, I'm still a little skeptical about how this platoon is going to play out over the course of the entire season. I still kind of think of it as a little bit of a weakness for the team, and I know we both felt that way heading into the season, and we've certainly been right about the Pierce side of it. But Moreland is known for those second half of the year drop-offs, and I'm a little bit concerned as to uh, what's going to happen if this. Torrid power stretch that he's on Kind of tails off
1: I would almost Prefer Chavis to be the full time First baseman in the second half of the season And use Pearson Morlin off the bench As those pinch hit Types or just kind of specific Matchup plays And the Red Sox to go get a second Baseman I don't know who would be available But It it they kind of it's weird because they don't really have any depth in the bullpen and they don't really have any depth for the bench. So what do you do? You have to make a move, and we kind of expect there to be at least one for the bullpen as we approach the trade deadline, but what are your thoughts on that and kind of using Moreland and Pierce as the guy does the bats off the bench and going to get an everyday player to kind of push them to the bench?
0: Um, I'm okay with the idea of pushing Pierce to the bench. Um, I don't know if I'm okay with the idea of pushing Moreland to the bench. I I almost kind of want him to prove that he's going to fall off again in the second half, considering how good he's been in the first half. And also with Chavis, the thing we have to talk about with him is that over the last month, He's only had a 101 WRC+. Uh, He has had seven home runs during that stretch, which is great. Um, But that's a huge tail off from, like, the 160, 170 where he was for the first, you know, few weeks that he came up. And one of the big reasons why is he's being exposed by pitches up in the zone that he just can't get to. So if he is going to continue to be plagued by not being able to hit high heat, in the league kind of has a book on him... um, I don't want him in there every day, you know. I I I don't think that that's the best thing for the team. I'd I'd almost be more comfortable going out and getting somebody externally at first rather than uh rather than having that.
1: That would be a lot easier too. Options are a lot heavier there. I guess I have a uh, a whole lot more faith in Chavis. Um, I completely understand. I mean, we saw it. Um, I think it was last weekend. Um, shoot, I wish I remember who it was, but it kind of felt like it started with, um, one of the games last weekend where he threw his first three at bats, uh, saw nothing but fastballs. They didn't give him any kind of breaking balls at all and just pounded him with fastballs. And since then, um, uh, Verlander ate him up, which isn't, uh, terribly infrequent occurrence with verlander and pretty much anyone um but now i mean we've seen the way that he's been being sequenced at the plate uh the yankees kind of took the verlander formula and the the way to attack him and started with fastballs up then give him you know an off speed or a breaking pitch low and then go right back up top for a strikeout yeah Herman ate his lunch yesterday yeah, he did. <laughs> um, so it's clear what the book on Chavis is, and now, I mean, this is exactly how we see all players when they come up. They come up, they're on a heater, then the league adjusts, and now it's up to him to adjust back. It's fairly obvious what his issue is, though, so it should be a little bit easier to correct. Really, all he has to do is lay off him, and then they're gonna be, pitchers are gonna be forced to throw him stuff down and more in the strike zone to try and get him to chase which he has a ridiculous amount of feel for the bottom of the strike zone which is uh pretty pretty good for a hitter his age but he has no idea what to do with the top and he is baffled by just about any uh i mean think he got toasted on a slider up in the zone against chapman um So it's not just fastballs up. It's just the the upper third of the strike zone. He's just not sure what to do with it. And that seems like something that could be relatively easy to fix because it it really is almost like a decision point whether to attack it or not. And if you lay off them, uh, then you're either going to draw more walks or force them to throw more strikes in places where you want them to hit. And with the Red Sox hitting staff and you know maybe J- jd martinez gets in there a little bit as the de facto hitting coach uh i have faith in his ability to turn it around um it might just be biased because i love him but <laughs> i don't know what are, your, what are your thoughts on that
0: no i mean i think he he has the capability of turning it around i think it's going to be difficult to do so at the major league level but i think that chavis has shown a clear ability to be able to learn and adjust over time um He's certainly a hard worker and communicates well. So I think that those are things that are pluses in the category for being able to improve on a deficiency that he has. So I don't think that this is like by any means, you know, it for him against those pitches. I think he will adjust and uh, get better. So I agree with you. I have faith Uh, in terms of what that second base market looks like, though. It looks super thin right now. Um I'm sure you were looking that over as well. I was. Uh, yeah, and there I just don't know if there are gonna be any real options that are gonna be pluses. Um, I came
1: up with one name. Oh interesting. Who do you have? It is not gonna be easy, but uh the Royals are in supercell mode. So Whit Merrifield is available. Mm. It's not gonna be cheap though.
0: No. <laughs> I don't know that the Red Sox, if they gave their entire farm system to the Royals, would be able to get uh, Whit
1: Merrifield. Chavis might have to be in that deal to get that done, and I don't want to do that. I mean, I would do that. I would drive Chavis to the airport for that. Well, it wouldn't be, like, straight up. It would be Chavis and the entire... Yeah, it would be a lot. Yeah, it's not going to be cheap. And he carries a $16 million tag, which I think is more expensive than they are wanting to to kind of dish out to probably anybody. So that was the only name that I came up with that was probably available, but it's like a less than 1% chance that that would even happen.
0: Yeah, I'm not, yeah. it's They're probably better looking looking at that first base market um, if they're looking to add some type of thing offensively. But I, I think that the focus would and should be more on the offensive i mean the uh the pitching side of things i mean we we always say that but they do seem like a team that's one or two relievers away here um let's let's finish up the observations about the offensive side of of things um jd martinez over this past month has seven home runs of 123 wrc plus uh mookie only three home runs and uh, only a 139 ISO over this time period. He hasn't been hitting for much pop in a 120 uh, WRC+. plus, So that's a little bit disappointing. I was surprised by J.D. Martinez uh, being as good as he is. So I guess even when J.D. scuffles, he's still
1: like a 120 WRC-plus bat. Yeah, you know what's weird with him? Because I almost brought this up on last week's pod, uh, but I was too surprised by it to bring it up but it feels like if you had to guess would you say uh jd martinez and i don't know if you're looking at his stats or not and have the answer to this but uh would you say that he's striking out more or less to his career average so far this year i would say more me too it's actually uh about uh five percent less huh interesting (laughs) yeah
0: yeah, yeah, that is funny um, Yeah, I, Anecdotally, just watching it every day You'd certainly think less
1: Yeah, and that's what uh, when we were talking about Some of the, the struggles that were popping up Last time I wanted to bring up J.D. Martinez, you know, seems like he's striking out A lot more, and then I went to uh, His page, and it's Striking out 17% of the time Which is actually far below Any of the previous four seasons And I was like, well, never mind, I guess screw me I don't know what the hell's going on
0: yeah, I mean, I'm looking at his zone profile, too, and J.D. Martinez is doing nothing alarming in terms of changing anything that made him successful. His O-swing percentage is slightly up over last year. Uh, his Z-swing percentage is almost the same. It's down, like, 1%. His overall swing percentage is up a little bit from last year, um, but he's still making tons of contact, actually more contact in the zone than he was last year. Um I think it's just a matter of time before JD gets this thing going full
1: bore. Yeah, and it's funny to think of a guy hitting like 291, 11 homers is struggling, but <laughs> his his XBA is 320. So, I mean, maybe it really is just some bad bit luck.
0: I mean, he, he we also need to remember he put some absolute charges into some balls early in April, too that would have been out right now.
1: Yeah. I guess that's a good thing is we're turning now to the warm months, I guess, hopefully. Yeah. Uh, It's been pretty damn cold in Chicago lately, but, you know, what can you do? So maybe now that we're, you know, we're getting into the warmer months here and some of these guys start to push balls over the fence that have just been barely making it. And then, you know, we'll see what happens.
0: Um, Benny and Chavis, we've talked about their struggles, so we won't touch on those guys. But the last guy I want to really touch on, um, is Jackie Bradley Jr., who, uh, has figured it out at the plate as of recently. Um, he says that something clicked for him in an 0-3 game, um, recently, um, and we have seen that over the last month. Over the last month, he's got a 115 WRC+, four home runs, uh, 16 runs, nine RBIs, He's batting 238, which is still a little bit low, but he's hitting for power and he's uh, getting on base at a 351 clip. Um, so Jackie Bradley, Jr. with a 115 WRC+, uh, that really does change him from a complete automatic out uh, to, you know, an above-average offensive player. And uh, if Jackie Bradley Jr. can get going here, um, that's going to do a lot to lengthen this lineup.
1: Great. To ride this out as long as we can. Yeah.
0: I mean this is this is classic Jackie. We're gonna see ebbs and flows with him. But this is uh it's certainly good. Certainly good to see him getting out of that because that was just about the ugliest uh stretch of time that I can remember from Jackie Bradley Jr.
1: Yep, I would agree with that wholeheartedly. Now I'm curious here if we can see uh looks looking at his career splits uh, June, July and August are by far the best three months of his career. Uh, June in particular. Okay. So I guess he's getting hot at the right time. but I mean I guess it's better to be a second half hitter than a than a first half, but um, June he's got a 247 career average. Uh, July at uh, 259, so it's about 10 points higher, uh, but he has about double the homers in June. Uh, and then August, 255. Actually, I guess August is his best career month. 255 and uh, 15 homers for his career, which is, uh, again, close to double of July. So so we get into the warmer months, he's clearly a warmer month hitter. So hopefully, maybe that means some of these things are going to turn around.
0: Perfect. Hey. That's good good news for us. Good news yeah. for the team. That's awesome. Um, let's go to the pitching side of things. So let's talk a little bit about how the Red Sox pitchers have performed over the last month. Remember, though, that uh, David Price was injured for a big chunk of this time period, so he hasn't been pitching nearly as much. Um, but the starters, uh, over the last month, Chris Sale has turned back into vintage Chris Sale. Um, 2.82 ERA over that period of time, over 15.5 strikeouts per nine, uh, walking less than uh, 2.15 guys per nine. Uh, He has turned back into the pitcher that we knew Chris Sale could be. Um, Porcello, 4.14 ERA. Uh, He's been better than that, though, lately. He had a a couple rough outings, but he's really turned it around. Eduardo Rodriguez with a 3.90 ERA. Uh, David Price in the starts that he did make over 17.2 innings pitched, 1.53 ERA he's been fantastic and consistent pretty much the entire year um, but it's really been that fifth spot sort of filling in for uh, the injured Eovaldi that hasn't really been producing either uh, Ryan Weber uh, 4.5 ERA not terrible but his last outing really killed him um, and then you know there hasn't The back end of the bullpen has been a little bit rough in those starts as well. Hector Velasquez, who's gotten some additional run, 18.1 innings, um, 7.85 ERA. He's been awful during that stretch. Um, What do you make of the starting pitching at this point?
1: Starting pitching feels good. I mean, at least one through four. Um, Porcello has been more consistent than not. It's just when he hasn't been consistent, he's gotten shelled. So he's definitely pitched better than a, a 4.14 ERA. And Eduardo Rodriguez, again, has kind of turned the corner like we saw. And he's had some tremendous outings as long as he mixes his pitches enough. Uh, but he's been at least consistent at that. And then Sale and Price are killing it. And it really is up to that fifth starter spot. Um, either need Evaldi back immediately or we need to find someone who can help there, which I guess Brian Johnson would be another option who's uh, Got to be close to a return at this point.
0: Yeah, um, Brian Johnson's on his way back, um, and he's being stretched out right now. I believe his last outing he was up to over 50 pitches. So I think that that's certainly an option um, to to take that last spot um, when he does come back and provide a little bit of stability. Just to talk a little bit about Porcello, though, um, he's only had two outings this year where he's given up more than uh, five or more earned runs. And the rest of the time, I mean, he's pretty much around one, two, or three earned runs per outing, Um, he's a guy that keeps you in the game uh, most of the time. So, I have felt pretty good about him as of late. Um, Eduardo is still infuriating at times because when you look at his game log, it's a little bit more frustrating. Um, He's got, you know, some six earned runs, five earned runs, five earned runs, six earned runs. He's got four of those. So, he's actually been more inconsistent than Porcello, but he also does stuff like out-duel Verlander. So... You know.
1: Right. <laughs> it's it's weird. Yeah. Um uh, it feels like this is the the breakout and maybe as we get through here towards the second half we'll start to find more consistency. Uh and maybe be that that Verlander esque more well, I mean that's a, that's quite a <laughs> yeah. task. Maybe not. Maybe I pull that's that. That's an ask. How about just consistent? Yeah. we'll go with that. Yeah, <laughs> I'll that's, settle for consistency. That sounds a lot better than Verlander.
0: <laughs> Give the guy a chance at least.
1: Yeah, but um, I also kind of wonder how much the the Red Sox bullpen is. I mean we've we've talked about how it's been pretty frustrating at times, and uh, Barnes has been really the only pillar of consistency. Workman has been really good, uh, and the same with um, what's-his-face Walden. Uh, But there are times where they've been inconsistent, too, and it just doesn't feel like they need to get the fifth starter back because whenever they burn the bullpen on a bullpen day, it taxes them more than it should, and we're putting more innings on arms that we really Don't need to I understand uh, Like that's the That's been more of a trend lately I just don't feel like the Red Sox bullpen right now the way It's constructed uh, Really works with having A bullpen day every fifth day And I'd rather save those guys for When the innings are going to matter so I I would Like to and I'm sure this was probably just A stopgap because they didn't have Brian Johnson And have Evaldi but I really really want one of those guys Back soon so we can stop going with the bullpen days because I just don't think it helps the bullpen.
0: Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's the reason why Cora has been running with eight pitchers for as long as he has um, that coupled with the fact that he's had so many offensive pieces uh, banged up but um, I agree there's really only been four guys over the last month that you could rely on. Three that you mentioned and then uh, Heath Hembree who's like quietly had an ERA under one at 0.79 for the last month 11.1 11.1 innings pitch during that time period. Um, Hembree's had a lot of work. Um, I think what he's doing is a little bit unsustainable. During that time, Hembree has a 217 BABIP. Um, he's leaving 100% of his men on base, um, and he's only got a home run to fly ball percentage of 5.3. Uh, so all those things scream regression for Heath Hembree, but at least he has separated himself a little bit um, from the pack. Uh The one guy that they really need to get going, though, who's been just abominable is Ryan Brazier, who is a key cog for this bullpen and needs to be performing well. He's pitched 10 innings over the last month to a 7.2 ERA and a 16.7% home run to fly ball rate. Um, He's just not striking people out. He's walking too many guys, and he's getting clobbered by the home run ball. Uh, Basically, the worst possible recipe. He looks awful out there right now.
1: Yeah, he has had some just devastating implosions. And that was really the one against Cleveland where they fought back, took the lead, and should have wrapped that up and then ended up losing in extras because uh, Brazier gave up three runs and two homers. That's – got to – I mean, particularly with a three-run lead against a lineup like Cleveland's, you have to close that out. That's a game you have to have.
0: Yeah. Oh, hundred 100%. I mean, you need to you need to have games like that. This team can't afford to be giving up games uh in any circumstance, but certainly not once when you're you, when you're in control. Um and that's unfortunately what we've seen a lot from from these guys. Um I do feel like this team is two arms away. Um And I don't know how they're going to be able to add two arms. We've talked about a few of the options out there already, so we won't rehash that. But I expect this team to be very active. And one of the things to note is that, uh, you know, the MLB draft, which is underway right now, um, the the team is going to have to um, start to look at options ASAP as soon as this draft is over, because... One of the things that we were thinking about preseason was that, okay, they're going to get some help internally. They're going to get Durbin Feltman at some point. They're going to get Dorins and Hernandez at some point, and they'll also be able to rely on Travis Lakens at some point. But unfortunately, all three of those guys have been grossly underperforming to the point where... We're not really sure if those are going to be viable options for this team. So they're going to have to spend and look outside the organization because they simply don't have the depth anymore. I mean, when you look down at the farm system right now, what you're looking at is Lakins and Pointer uh pretty much uh, for guys that they can add. And none of those guys excite me, and none of those guys are actually going to solve any of their issues. So... Uh, Red Sox have a lot of work to do uh, In terms of that bullpen And that's going to be I think the single biggest reason uh, Why if they don't make the playoffs It'll be the bullpen
1: Yeah I definitely agree with that too It seems like for a while They've just kind of been plugging it together With quantity over quality Uh, And with Two better arms I mean they get rid of like Half this bullpen and then be able to add a bench bat And I think that's probably where Cora wants to go so he can be flexible With his bullpen and his bench right now It's it's picking and choosing It's either do I want guys to be flexible In the bullpen Alright well then we're going to have to carry extra pitchers And we're not going to have any kind of bench And then it's probably going to swing the other way And uh, when you get like Moreland and Pierce back Because they're both going to be on the roster So then they're going to have a thick bench But they're not going to have enough quality relievers with the guys that they have that they're going to be forced to make a move probably sooner rather than later, which is only going to be a benefit. But like you said, I'm not sure exactly – we brought up a couple names, but it seems like last year was a really kind of a wild year with the leavers. There were so many top guys that got moved that I just can't imagine that's going to happen again.
0: Yeah, I don't know. It's going to be different because this is the first year that there's going to be no waiver trade deadline as well. So all the movement's going to have to happen at the uh, non-waiver trade deadline, uh, July 31st, I believe it is. So, um, yeah, there's going to be a lot of action this year. We're going to see how that's going to play out. It's going to force teams to make that calculus and that decision much earlier whether or not they're going to be a buyer or seller. So I'm hoping that this is going to be a net positive for baseball in that there's going to be a lot more action than we've seen in the past and it's all going to happen at the same time like a you know NFL or an NBA uh off season which is great or a trade deadline because all I mean the MLB has really flopped recently with its off season uh hot stove stuff as well as their trade deadlines I feel like they've been kind of anticlimactic so I'd love to see a little of that urgency uh put back into that
1: but, yeah, I mean, baseball used to have, like, the marquee offseason. And the past two years with, like, J.D. Martinez not signing until February, uh, Kimbrel and Keichel still on the market, and it took forever for Harper and Machado to sign. I mean, it just pissed everybody off. Yeah. So, And there seems, like, relatively simple measures that can go into place. Like, I know that there's been uh, – I don't know if it's been talk, at least at the major league level, but there's been – Think pieces put out there about getting rid of the pick compensation for qualifying offers because it's, if it's going to deter people like Keikel and Kimbrell not being on a major league roster, why would MLB want them to sit there for six months and not be on the field? I don't understand that.
0: Yeah, it doesn't make any sense for anybody. It is. Really silly. Um, So hopefully they can fix that. There's a lot of things that need to be fixed about baseball and the way free agency works at this point.
1: Which is the bigger concern for you, though, the lack of just to put a bow on this real quick, the lack of depth in the lineup or the lack of depth in the bullpen, quality depth in the bullpen, which is the bigger concern to you?
0: Uh, certainly in the bullpen for me, because I think that the lineup, um, is so good. The starting lineup is so good that when it is functioning correctly, um, you know, you can really cover up for that bench depth. Um, but I don't think there's any way that you can cover up for those in between innings to try and get you to guys like, uh, Walden and Barnes. Um, and that's where we run into
1: the biggest issues. I agree. I'm much more concerned about the bullpen. And I probably had a bit of a meltdown on Twitter uh, during that uh, game against Cleveland. I had a, a nice string of tweets about Kimbrel, um, which may have been an overreaction to one game. But then at the same time, you see it happen, and you can just imagine it happening again in August when they're like, inching back against the Yankees and then end up blowing a weekend series because the bullpen couldn't hold a lead that sale, and Bryce got him and it just makes me sad
0: well it's a safe space for you to let it all out there Keaton
1: so I'm glad you did that (laughs) yeah I needed to I feel better after having gotten it out I felt better and then you know (laughs) then they uh, like are on the verge of getting swept by the Yankees and now I'm sad again
0: (laughs) well good Okay. Um, Well, that about wraps it up for us. Um, It is June 2nd, though, so our contest for OOTP Baseball has finished. So we hope that you were able to get your reviews in and send us some proof of your reviews so we can give away that copy of OOTP Baseball. Keaton, did we get any
1: action on that front? I did not get any. Should we check with Matt? Did he... Get some by accident.
0: We'll check with Matt, but let's just give this uh, one more shout-out. If you were one of the people that left us a review, please go take a picture of said review and send it to us at our Twitters. You can do so at, at devjake for me. You can also send it to Keaton at @thespokenkeats. the Keats. If you send it to the OTM account, uh, Matt might not know what you're actually doing. So uh, send it to us, okay? Uh and then we will get we will announce the winner on the next podcast and get that out to you guys ASAP. We'll probably get it out to you before the next podcast considering uh you, if you get that to us uh ASAP. So as soon as you hear this, send us that proof of of uh of review. Uh if you enjoyed the show, please go on and rate and review us. Uh we always appreciate those. Um, also, give us a follow on Twitter. I already mentioned those, but I'll mention them again at DevJig for me, at The Spoken Keats for Keaton, um, and at OverTheMonster for all your Red Sox news. And you can follow the podcast. Make sure you subscribe to us on Himalaya, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, whatever, anywhere you get your podcasts. We're probably there. Um, and I think that about wraps it up. So, any closing thoughts, Keaton? Let's go Red Sox. All right. You heard it here first. Let's go Red Sox. Thanks, guys, for joining us. We appreciate the download, appreciate the listen, and we'll be with you next week.